I am beyond excited to announce that I have partnered with Magimix for season eight of Crazy Sexy Food. Magimix is a family-owned business that has the amazing reputation as makers of quality kitchen appliances that are adored by chefs and home cooks alike. I remember growing up and always seeing my mum's beloved Magimix on her countertop and the utter ease of how she used it. With their 30-year motor guarantee, these machines have always been built to last. They continue to be relevant as ever in the busy kitchen and make fantastic food processes that make your food go further and reduce food wastage. They are a godsend when it comes to batch cooking and using up leftovers. I use my Magimix every single day. If you're ready to step into the world of Magimix with a new food processor, blender, ice cream maker or any other bit of kit, then simply pop over to their website and use my exclusive code at checkout for a 15% discount. The code is MagimixCSF. Make it with Magimix. Hi and welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. I'm Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who, well, just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today, I'm joined by an absolute powerhouse of a woman, Claire Smith. As the only British chef to hold three Michelin stars in the UK and the fourth British chef to receive the honor, Claire's total commitment to her career and the industry is unfaltering. She was awarded an MBE in 2013 for services to hospitality and is the owner of Core in London and Encore in Sydney, Australia. The restaurants pride themselves on being elegant, fine dining experiences with a focus on natural, sustainable food. Her Michelin stars are not the only accolades behind her. She has been awarded five AA rosettes, scored a perfect 10 and the highest ever new entry in the Good Food Guide 2019. And she received the title of the world's best female chef in 2018. She is unstoppable. She is a massive influence the world over and it just so happens that she's here in my kitchen what an absolute honor claire welcome to crazy sexy food oh thank you it's good to be here this good to is see you. so lovely to see you again we met very briefly in the summer at the big festival mm-hmm. in very different surroundings yeah it was hot we were in a field yeah uh we were camping we were doing all sorts so it's lovely to see you in a little bit more of a relaxed um somewhat cleaner environment shall we say yeah yeah <laughs> a bit more sort of subdued yeah a bit more elegant yeah <laughs> So you've just got back, you just said to me before recording, from the most incredible trip. Where have you been? And I want to know what you ate. Oh, um, (laughs) well, I've just been to Rwanda and Tanzania, um, which were two beautiful, beautiful countries. Um, And in both countries, similar sort of food because they actually border each other. Yeah. But um, I always like to eat what the locals eat. Um, every time I go to Africa, I'm always asking them, you know, like, but what are you having for dinner? Because mm. it's much more interesting than them trying to cook a steak of poivre or some of pasta course. or something. It's like, so, um, yeah, things like, I mean, I great the stews. A lot of it's vegetarian, which I'm really happy about when I travel. Actually, mm-hmm. I really like to eat quite healthily. Um, green banana stews, peas, uh, spinach, lots of tomatoes, um, 
meats if we had meat was done on a barbecue barbecue sauce with raw tomato and onion oh salad and maize they'd say it's like a polenta you have the white and the yellow one but it's a staple for them and typically you eat it um pick off some with your hands you'll dip it into some yeah. of the sauce the tomato sauce with the spinach or with the raw salad and you kind of eat it like that and it's delicious god it sounds fabulous it is really good um and i always always try to 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 go down that route and but the green bananas were really fabulous like the stew they're almost like potatoes oh wow and they grow okay. loads of potatoes in rwanda like tons so it's like they actually call them irish potatoes which is quite funny <laughs> the irony yeah <laughs> But it's like a huge staple crop um, oh, yeah. and they work so hard, you know, growing these potatoes. They're just transporting them all over the place on bikes. Oh, it's, oh my God, it's definitely somewhere. It's, it's on my list yeah. because you did a, you sort of, you went to go see Gorilla. I mean, you've yeah. done the whole thing, haven't you? I, I do need to do that trip at some point. Before we get started, I always ask my guests what they had for breakfast today. Breakfast what today. does Claire Smith have for breakfast? Yes, it's really bad um, <laughs> for breakfast. Well, I don't tend to eat breakfast, actually. Um, so I go to, went to the gym this morning, and then when I got back from the gym, I ate a, 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 just a cooked chicken breast <laughs> for protein and okay. some Brazil nuts. Okay. Yeah. I've got very high protein. Yeah, and then I had a satsuma. <laughs> and that was what I had. Are, um, you, are you a breakfast person? I have to say, I've interviewed quite a few chefs in my short career and you all always have the same answer which is that none of you really have breakfast is that something to do with the job I think I think so I think because we eat so much when we're at work like tasting all the time and you know we have to taste everything Mm. we cook and so you end up yeah you just you don't feel like eating breakfast because if you've had you need to be like, I'm quite greedy anyway, but you, if you're hungry, you're wanting to taste more and you also consider it more. If you're full, you're not likely to taste yeah. it. So um, yeah, keeping yourself sort of hungry and, and lean is quite a, a good way to go Absolutely. into work. So I want to kind of start from the beginning. I want to take it back. You were born and raised in Northern Ireland. I want to know what life was like growing up. Who was cooking? What were you eating? Was food important to you and your family? Just sort of paint the whole picture for us. Yeah, I mean, I grew up on a farm um, in Northern Ireland, just off the coast by the Giant's Causeway. Um, Beautiful around there. It's stunning. Uh, but there's nothing there, you know. It's kind of just, it's just full of farms, agriculture. Um, my family had a dairy farm and sheep. Um, and my aunt and uncle were huge potato farmers. Um and so we grew up eating home-cooked meals every day, uh, traditional, rustic, Irish home-cooked meals. Um, we would butcher whole animals. They'd be kept in the freezer. Food was incredibly important to the family because being from a sort of farming background, it's incredibly hard work. Mm. So you have people working in the fields and that, would, that meal really needed to sustain them throughout the day and it's something they really looked forward to. So everything was cooked, you know, breads, uh, wheat and bread, soda bread. My mum would bake we never had anything from a tin like wow. we never had anything we never had pasta it's okay. like really bizarre i mean mm. and i didn't i've never thought about it until actually much later on in life i was actually very lucky because i grew up with that cooking all the time sometimes things would be on the stove all night you know slow cooked slow braises and you wake up and the house just smelled incredible in the morning but it was and we also had to be involved in the cooking because it was a chore 
So we had potatoes with every meal <laughs> and we had to, you know, whether it was peeling the potatoes or doing something towards that meal. Champ was another thing, mashed potatoes and scallions. Oh, um, lovely. Yeah. But lots of really hearty, um, slow cooked meals, stews and rich things like that. But it was, yeah, we never had anything that wasn't like we had milk fresh from the tank as well with every meal so it was unpasteurized what an incredible life yeah i just never realized that then though at all so tell me in terms of the farm were you i mean obviously you had people working on the farm but Mm -hmm. did you ever get involved with anything Yeah. yeah i loved it I loved it. I was, um, I used to, I used to help all the time. I, I rode horses. That was my thing. And okay. I would have been a professional show jumper if I wasn't a chef. Okay. I loved it. Um, but I was always like feeding the pet lambs and things like that. And, you know, I'd always try and save an animal if it was ill. That would be Aww. my project. You know, as a kid, you'd kind of like want to like save them and have all my little pets and things like that but I really really loved growing up in that environment it was freedom as well absolutely just freedom to wander the fields and you know ride my horse and and you know till the sun came down then it was a great a great childhood it sounds idyllic and in terms of the cooking you said that sort of you know you had chores or whatever but what was your speciality like was there something specific that perhaps I'm assuming that your mum was the primary cook here but was there something specific that maybe you would always bake, like bake with her or cook with her? Like, what was the thing that you loved making as a child? I mean, it would have been things like, um, it would have been more on those Irish stew kind of things. You know, that would have been favourite soups with uh, lots of pearl barley and like mm. pulses in it. Um, those would have been my favourite things. Things that I used to not really like were things like poached fish. Uh, we used to poach fish and milk with parsley, but now I absolutely love it. It's bizarre, but... Yeah, those kind of dishes, um, you know, even things like with uh, like a minced beef stew, like a cottage pie type things like that. I used to not like that as a kid. Now I love it. But um, it's yeah, we were very much just involved in in whatever needed to be do it done. Really, I mean, we were kind of dragged in at a young age. I love, and it was sort of there was no other option really. You know, yeah. you just sort of get in and get your arm, get your hands dirty, so yeah. to speak. And so obviously, you're interested in cooking at a young age. You moved to the UK at quite a young age, at 16. And I'm curious to know, sort of, what was the plan when you got here? Why did you move to the UK, sort of, at that age? Because I'm assuming you'd obviously were at school. Hmm. Like you obviously uh, sort of sort of paint the picture of, of that era of your, of your life. Yeah, so I, um, I was at school. I wasn't interested in school at all. Um, and I was working in a local restaurant on my weekend school holidays so I met some really good chefs just happened to be quite a good restaurant I was lucky that we had like a sort of fine dining restaurant and the chefs would come from England because it was quite difficult to find anyone of that caliber in Northern Ireland okay um so I started to hear about Michelin starred restaurants I started to buy books and then I became obsessed about being a chef I never really wanted to be a chef it was just kind of when I was about 15 years old I kind of then saw there was this whole career and this, like, I started reading these books about, you know, Anton Mosman's book when he was a head chef at uh, the Dorchester in London. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, this whole world opened up. Um, I was always quite creative. So I just knew that I had to go and come to England and and study here because that's where it was at. There wasn't anything like that in Northern Ireland. I was so headstrong, quite rebellious as well. Um, and just didn't fit with school. I just didn't like, 
the academic side I was much more sporty much more creative um, and I, I just wanted to to crack on with my career and I guess naive and all the things that kids are yeah which I kind of quite love in a way yeah because they sort of have that fearlessness about them don't you know you just yeah. sort of well you don't know what you don't care about the consequences mm. you just go with it so you come to do you come to London I went to so I I went to it's just outside of Portsmouth. Okay. So I went to college in uh, Brighton mm-hmm. and um, I got a job in a, it was apprenticeship. So I did an apprenticeship. So I was working, earning money. I had accommodation where I was working. And then I went to college one day a week and that was in Surrey. So I was kind of like a health farm and uh, it was quite good. It was like, I would rather have been again at work than at college. So I would pick up really quickly at work and just absolutely loved being in the environment um and going to college was just a chore because it was like I was working and doing lots of things you know we'd fill it like 20 30 Dover soles at work and then I would have to stand at college and just do one painfully (laughs) slow whilst we're watching everyone else and I just wanted to move on and get that box ticked um so but I did it I did my two years at college the bare minimum yeah because that's I just didn't (laughs) want to I just wanted to be in the kitchen um and then I moved to London after that and sort of fill the gaps in from sort of, you know, you move to London and then how do you kind of get into that, what is, you know, quite a prestigious scene? Yeah, so I moved to London. I was still not quite 18 by this stage. So I uh, I applied for jobs where, you know, I thought like the best restaurants and, and went and did trials. And I can remember someone saying... Uh, you know, like, well, but you're not even 18. You actually looked, you know, I was like, mm, yeah, but I'll be 18 soon. Um, and then I did trials in all these restaurants and I actually ended up um, really loving being at uh, Babendum, South Kensington. Yeah, beautiful which, restaurant. Which, yeah, back then it was um, Simon Hopkinson that was still there. He kind of left at that stage and Matthew Harris was the chef. But what a fantastic restaurant to learn in. I learned mm. a lot, amazing quality produce, um, really loved that style of cooking and it was a great foundation for me um we did a lot of different things um, but it was always about the most incredible quality produce and classical classical cooking mm. and most notably so that I'm, i may be sort of fast forwarding a bit here but most notably you've worked under um elaine ducasse gordon ramsay I'd love to know what it's like, because I'm assuming this is kind of the era of those, you know, there's some, I'm mentioning two very well-known chefs, obviously Gordon being, you know, worldwide, global, globally known. You know, what's the experience like being in these kitchens with these maestros? I mean, you know, these guys, whether their reputation is great, bad, whatever, you know, these are some serious people, like making waves on the scene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were like, you know, idols to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was petrified of Gordon when I met him. <laughs> I was absolutely petrified. And he's quite a big guy, but he seemed like he was 20 foot tall the yeah. first time I met him. Um, and, you know, I was just trying to keep my head down and not, not get myself in trouble. <laughs> um, but, you know, over the years, you kind of realise that, I mean, it's very simple with those sorts of people. Very simple with Gordon. If you do a good job, it's great. If you don't, then you're in trouble. And if you don't know, you just got to ask and be honest. And actually, you know, I found him quite easy to work with because you just always knew where you stood. Mm. Um, and if you worked hard and you were loyal, then he looked after you. And it, and it was kind of like, yeah, he was very supportive of me all the way through my career. Even when I was 
quite young, you know, as a young woman in that environment, you think that famous for being probably one of the most testosterone driven kitchens, SAS mm. of, of all kitchens. But Gordon was actually always really quite supportive um, right from the beginning. Did you ever mess up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did it go down? Um, <laughs> to be honest, I mean, I kind of like, I'm really bad when I make a mistake. I cannot speak. Like I'll be at, I'm worse on myself than anyone else. Really? Yeah, if I screw up, I will not speak for days. Really? Yeah, when I was younger, I used to take it so, so badly. Is it because you're like disappointed in yourself? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're quite hard on yourself. Massively. I remember I screwed up at uh, Monaco when I was working for Alan Ducasse and I overcooked the risotto. It takes 19 minutes to cook. Cooked everyone a la minute in the service. Everything was done a la minute there. So it's quite a, a big deal. And I knew, and I just put that extra little bit of stock in and I knew, uh, and I was like, I did it. And I put it up and the chef just looked at me. He's like, oh. you know, just like, Phew. and then anyway, so then I just couldn't, the whole, I wouldn't speak to anyone. The rest of the night, just carried on, put my head down. The next day I came in, just put my head down, just doing my job. I couldn't lift myself out of it. And the head chef came up to me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he, and he said to me, look, you know, just get over it. Just move on. It's normal. It's part of the process. Mm. And that actually it was interesting the times that when I screwed up, it was often them that said, you know, if you went down in service, I remember Franz Ceruti saying to me, if you went down in service, he said, you, because you were cooking correctly, you didn't try and take shortcuts. You were doing it the way you're supposed to do it. And it was so busy, you couldn't do it. It's not possible. Mm. So get over it <laughs> and and carry on. And that yeah. is kind of, yeah, I was harder on myself than, than, they, than they ever were. That's so interesting. Um, I'm going to fast forward again a little bit. You became head chef at restaurant Gordon Ramsay. And that was, and just so happens as well that you were the first female chef in the UK to run a restaurant at the time with three Michelin stars. I mean, that's quite a lot on the shoulders. You know, how, and I, and I kind of, I guess I want to sort of like bring that into obviously you winning your own stars in the sense that what pressures comes with that? And how much does it change your mentality when it comes to cooking and creating dishes yeah for guests yeah i mean it it kind of i think the first in the first instance being a taking over a restaurant with three michelin stars i was 28 at the time so it was it was my first kind of incredibly um, young yeah senior well first head chef's position taking over a three michelin star restaurant at 28 and it was actually the only three star restaurant in london at the time and because it was like they weren't my stars it was very difficult mm. so i'm maintaining a standard that is already there and scared to change it at all so i was so rigorous in it um and to the point of over the top as well. Mm. You know, again, it was that thing about proving myself or feeling like I needed to because I was taking over the reins from all these other men who were quite ferocious day to day. <laughs> I mean, the restaurant had a reputation, so I had to kind of fill the shoes and do the same thing, mm. um, which wasn't really my style. And I remember saying to Gordon, you know, but how do I know if when I create a dish, it's good enough, you know, for this level? And he said, but of course it is. That's why you're here. You know, that's why mm. you're doing this job. I've 
put you in this because you can do it and you've got the trainings and now you're doing it. But it took me a few years to grow into my own shoes and really start to form my own style. How much creative control do you have? For, in this example, actually, I'm just thinking as you're speaking, he puts you in as head chef of probably the, if not the most prestigious restaurant, a most incredible restaurant in London. How much creative control do you have to alter things? Because you said you were sort of like, you were going above and beyond. Mm -hmm. Quite a difficult um, thing to do when you've got such an established restaurant. Right. It's got to be an evolution, a very gentle okay. evolution. You've got to, everything involves with time, everything in the world's evolving, so you have to evolve. But everybody knows what that restaurant is. The customers know what it is. It's successful because it's that. They know what those signature dishes are. So you've got to do it bit by bit. It's got a very strong DNA mm. and you have to take everything with you. Mm. Um, so it was, it, it was a progression over years, really. Um, and then I think it was like 2012 where I took over Chef Patron, where I really then just, it was very much freedom. And I remember Gordon said, you can even change the name of the restaurant if you want. And I'm like, why would I do that? Like, you're the most famous chef in the world. Yeah. You know, now that you're giving me a part of it, I want your name on the door because just for business reasons. Um, and, and then it was, but also I wanted to keep that identity because I understood how important that DNA was. And then opening Core was quite funny because even though I had established my own, started my own signature dishes, they became really successful there. I couldn't take them with me. So when I opened Core, I had to leave everything I ever created behind and start again. And start completely from, yeah. from scratch. And talk to me about the process of opening Core. You opened uh, that one in 2017. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like opening up your own restaurant? Yeah, horrible. <laughs> that was horrible. Why? It was, it was um, we didn't have you know, huge budgets. You know, it was me doing it. Um, we were so delayed in opening we were like, couldn't get any practice in, but we had to open cause we would have run out of money, mm. just all those sort of pressures. And, you know, I'd come from like hero to zero. Now I'm starting out with like nothing, you know, and, and from, from scratch and I have to get this whole team of people up to a standard that, uh, yeah, that people would expect of me. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, because I'd done it myself, it wasn't like a case of, you know, I've got the Dorchester Hotel behind me or I've got all this money behind me that we could have everything we want and we can train all the people and we can put all that money into it. So when we open, we couldn't. We were like literally, we were just like full on and we just had to get on with it. But then I never said I was going to, what I was going to do. I was just opening a restaurant. I didn't say I was going to achieve anything. It was like, we just open a restaurant, see how I get on. <laughs> but when you had the idea to start your own business, what was the initial concept? What was the initial idea? Why call it core? What was like, what was the vision to begin with? It was very much, um, core was because of meaning in heart and translation into lots of languages was for the heart, the seed of something new. It was, uh, having cooked in three Michelin star restaurants for 15 years previously, they were predominantly French style, mm -hmm. but I'm not Frenchy. And and so I really wanted to open a restaurant that would be my heart and soul, that would be who I am. Of course, I'll never leave that training behind or anything, but everything had to mean something to me this time, you know, and it had to be from the plates and the cutlery. Everything had to be made in Britain, all the producers. And it was like, I want to make, you know, Britain's not famous for fine dining. You know, it's not, 
globally that that you know we say the best restaurants in the world even though they are um but you <laughs> we've, know that, we've definitely got better <laughs> yeah the haute cuisine yeah. element you know yeah. it's kind of like you say that you know paris or wherever with more fine dining but i really wanted to bring that best of british to that that mm. fine porcelain but we have these companies been doing but in china for 300 years and i just wanted to really think about what we actually have in this country and use it and work with the people that means something to me that i've got a connection to absolutely and i think also you probably had that inherent understanding of what some people might see as small things like you you grew up in a farm like you see where things come from you see from the moment whether it's vegetables are grown or rearing animals like you had that's sort of been ingrained in you from pretty much the moment you were born mm-hmm. it's yeah. kind of like come round full circle in a way which I really really love so the restaurant now has three mission stars I mean Claire that is just such a huge accomplishment I have to ask you are you proud of yourself <laughs> um yes yeah I am although I never you know set out to achieve you know it wasn't the thing it was open core with my own vision try and make a successful business prove that I could make a successful restaurant from scratch with my own vision I secretly probably always wanted in my heart of hearts and the type of person I am I always have this fire in my belly to achieve things but I think it you know it would have been a massive shame if I hadn't have achieved it by myself because of just the all the years I'd spent Mm. doing it for other people and I have a great team around me as well. They're just like super and, you know, the people in it deserve to, to achieve it. And I think that really nicely brings me on to sort of talking about the experience because, you know, let's be honest, not many people can afford to go to, you know, a Michelin starred fine dining restaurant. Um, it's, a you know, a, a luxury for a lot of people. For people that may have not been to yours or have never stepped foot into a fine dining restaurant, talk to me about what we can experience coming to core. I want to know from the moment I step foot in that venue, in that venue, in that restaurant, what's going to happen? Well, (laughs) so from the moment you step foot in, in core, what might strike you or what I hope that strikes people is the welcome. Okay. Um, and the playlist. Oh, um, what you know, we got? What we got playing? It's you might have Guns and Roses playing no. "Sweet Child of Mine." You might have, you know, like uh, U two playing. You could have the Rolling Stones. Oh, I love that. So straight away, I want to take people away from what they're thinking okay. that fine dining is. You know that thing where I'm a little bit, um, you know, is it intimidating? Is it pretentious? We just straight away, no, yeah, it's not big welcomes big smiles from all the chefs everyone and welcome them in with some energy into the dining experience and then it will go on with a course of you know an explanation behind every dish because every dish I create um, has a reason and a story behind it and that's very important to me because again it's not a case of I've got to the stage in my career you know I've, I've done all the things I wanted to do so I restrain myself you know it's very much about working with producers that I want to work with or a reason I don't just open an Instagram or another person's cookbook and think, oh, I'm going to cook that. That's not where it comes from. Mm. It comes from very much uh, our culture or a product or a person. And I think that's important to pass that story on as well. What we're trying to say is that bringing people with us, showing that, you know, when you're eating a scallop, that 
you know, what you're eating and understanding where it's come from. Someone's hand died for it, that it's 15 years old because you can count the rings on the shell. Just stuff like that, that we're telling you, people. Is that how you know how old a scholar is? Yeah. And you can see in the lines, there's the bands that they're smaller or bigger depending upon which year they've grown more with the food. It's a bit like a tree. Um, I had no yeah. idea. That's so cool. And you can tell by the shell, the sort of area they've been in, if it's polished, if it's sandy or if it's rocky with moss and oh. stuff and barnacles growing on it. Yeah. You can see by the time of the year what they're eating and the flavour of the scallop will change slightly. So there's lots of things like that. And it's about appreciating the product and saying, you know, not just getting some scallops and cooking the dredging them out of the ocean and yeah. and cooking them to death. I yeah. mean, I've even someone tried to sell, serve me scallops in an aeroplane, and I wow. just find that just disgusting. That it, was brave. Yeah, <sighs> but it's like, why are you dredging yeah. the ocean to serve a scallop on an aeroplane? Like, just stop it. Yeah, like let's yeah. just catch a grip. Let's appreciate the things we have. Let's source them properly, and let's educate people and really enjoy and respect these beautiful things that we have. We're an island in Britain. We have this amazing produce. Mm. I'm very, very proud of the produce that we have mm. in Britain. I had uh, some American chefs over recently actually um, doing a, a, a program with them and they were just blown away. They were like, this: the lobsters, the scallops, I've never seen the scallops live, the lamb. And I was like, yeah, I mean, our produce. And then you go to a supermarket here I and mean, you look at the quality of our eggs and, and they just couldn't believe it. And it, mm. so I, I am so proud of it and yeah. we don't really even appreciate it yeah but as you're saying about the the experience of core we try to bring people with us on that journey and try to create a memory for them so when they leave they want to come back um but you know in terms of it is it is you know it costs a lot and I always like to say it costs a lot rather than it's expensive because I think expensive is a negative word things can just cost a lot of money because there is 53 staff at core you know, and there's 54 seats. Wow. And all those products that we use. So you've got all the staff. The whole <laughs> hospitality industry is on its feet and she's had them all this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. We need more, actually. I know, we do. <laughs> but that's kind Okay, of, so you're yeah. having... I mean, you're literally having a very personal experience. You're, yeah. You know, it's... Yeah. And that's hopefully a memory that yeah. you're creating and, and people you know come for all different kinds of reasons some people it's what they do fine dining is their passion you know like some people want to buy nice cars or mm. nice clothes some people you know may come once in a lifetime um but it everybody's the same and what i love to do is hook people yeah so the ones that come in and don't know so we we don't put anything on the menu that's they uh, words that they're probably not going to be able to pronounce and things okay. like that. I just don't agree with that. I don't like all those things. Well, then you're already putting up a wall, aren't you? Yeah. And it's that, oh, I feel bad that I don't understand. It makes the, the, the diner feel yeah. less than. Yeah. And I want that to be, like, we have a huge wine list because I absolutely love wine. But we put like little maps and descriptions in it so that people can actually navigate their way through it and understand. And there's five sommeliers on hand. So, and it's not like, we're there to to give you whatever you want mm. and like and then you know what people do in their day-to-day -day lives you know someone could be a, a lorry driver or a doctor it doesn't matter they know about that i know about food when you come into restaurants we're going to entertain mm. you. you do not need to know anything about food or or wine to come in to you mm. know and that yeah, i love yeah. it's like 
breaking down the barriers, the pretentiousness, taking it all away because we're just there to entertain and to deliver our art form as the best we can for Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Tell me, what would you say is the current signature dish at Core? Um, it's got to be the potato and roe. It's just a dish that... Explain what it is. I do know what it is, yeah. but for those that might not, please explain it. It's, um, <laughs> it's regarded as one of probably the best potato in the world. That's what, I, that's what I've read. It's, <laughs> um, it's a potato cooked in seaweed, so it's from my childhood. Um, okay. You know, kind of uh, growing up by the coast in Northern Ireland, uh, the, the, you know, really take on a lot of minerality from the ocean. And the thick black soil would be quite minerally. So that sort of cooking it in the seaweed and then putting the dulse and uh, smoked herring rose, crispy potato chips, because my favorite brings some acidity to it. And then there's like a, a dulse, beurre blanc with it um, and lots of sorrel and fresh herbs because it's actually quite um, rich. So we need to break all of that up with the dish. And it's something that we made not necessarily for fun. You know, like it was like, we've got to do a nod to my roots and people just love it and mm. I think it takes people again it's that non-pretentious fine dining mm. that people can find some nostalgia in it they can recognize it um yeah and it's just been I quite I laugh about it because it's like you can do the most incredibly complex dishes <laughs> and like no one's gonna and then there's the potato <laughs> the potato and it becomes a joke globally actually because when I do it anywhere all the other chefs are just like oh you're not doing the potato are you because they know that no matter how incredible their dishes are they're just going to love the potato I love that though I love that like there's a success in like your most well-known dish and it's like the potato why not yeah just... and also still a nod to your heritage yeah which is fabulous did you tell um the guy when you were in Rwanda did you tell them about your potato I didn't no I didn't <laughs> You should have tried to have made it with, yeah. with, with, with their potatoes. Something that I, you know, as a, as a female in this industry, you know, that I am very, uh, I strongly uh, feel is the role of the females in the professional kitchens. Mm -hmm. I know it is getting better, but I would love to hear your views on it and what your experience was like sort of rising through the ranks and... I guess, you know, for anyone out there who is wanting to become a chef, who is female and, and feels like maybe the industry hasn't been designed for them. Yeah, I mean, I think we've got this, um, you know, it's, it's changed tremendously over the last 15, 20 years, like many professions, actually. I always mm. say this when we're talking to people, but it's got, a, but it's got this hangover off of this reputation. Um, but it's changed, you know, it, it's not, the way you know it's not that sort of testosterone driven environment anymore it's still hard because well if you want to work at the top level and everything it's going to be hard um that's what it is but you've got to be dedicated to doing it but it's a much more pleasant working environment and now I, i'm lucky to have probably almost half the team are females it's probably because of me you know to me it wasn't a thing when i was younger i didn't really think about it you know like i was just wanted to work for the best chefs in the world they just all happened to be men mm. but it didn't cross my mind maybe it was my upbringing that you know I didn't I just didn't really think about it that men or well, women had it wasn't roles. really it wasn't really a conversation then as well no yeah it was pointed out to me yeah. the first time really when I took over at Royal Hospital Road as the head chef okay um, and then I just got so much media attention mm. and 
it, even like the Sun newspaper turned up at my parents' door in Northern Ireland. I mean, they've never been out of Northern Ireland. And it's like, and Gordon said to me, what happened? You've got more press than the Prime Minister. So well, That's probably a good thing, Claire. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely not more press than I get at the moment. <laughs> but it was pressure on me, actually. It put a huge yeah. amount of pressure on me because I, I thought, well, that's great. I'm the first woman, but what if I'm the first woman to lose three Michelin stars? So it was really, like, it was a huge amount of pressure. Mm. Um but things are much, much better now. We've still got ways to go. We've still got a long way to go. Um, but, you know, we're working in the right direction, that's for sure. And then how do you kind of juggle your work life with your home life? Because I, I guess one of the big things about being a chef is the hours. Mm. I know the hours are much better these days than, well, ish. Somewhat, she's like, mm, really, Hannah? I wish no. they were, yeah. um, You know, how do you kind of find that balance? Um, I, I don't, I, I kind of, always, she doesn't, I don't, I, my work life, home life, the same thing, yeah. to be honest. Um, and it's a choice and I love it and I wouldn't change it for the world. And I worked very, very hard when I was younger and I've got the choice to do lots of amazing things now because of that. So I guess that's where my balance comes in. It's mm. like, if I hadn't have done all the stuff that I did early on stuff, I get to do amazing things now, whether it be in the food world or or you know just generally in life I get so many opportunities to do so many incredible things that that's because of all of that work that I put in before so that kind of for me that's the balance and the payoff that it has paid off yeah I mean you get to come on to like podcasts like this I mean this this must be like a real moment for you I mean gosh you're gonna be thinking about this till the end of time If you spoke to your younger self, would you encourage her to do what you're doing now? Absolutely. Ten times over. But I would just tell myself not to be so hard on myself and that actually mistakes are part of the process. I actually think I held myself back and was harder on myself and didn't let go as much as maybe I could have um, because... I was such a perfectionist and, and actually you're restraining yourself mm. if you're a, a real perfectionist. Mistakes will happen, you know, it's part, it's part and parcel of that Absolutely. learning process. You spend a lot of time fostering young chefs and mentoring the younger generation, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Why is that important to you? Um, it's incredibly important because, well, I need them. <laughs> I need to make them yeah. good because pra- I need Practical them. reason. <laughs> Um, and I've, you know, achieved so much from yeah. this career, um, and it's given me so much and it's just to pass that knowledge on and try and nurture the next generation of chefs. I want them to leave me fully rounded. You know, we do training every Wednesday. They have a training day every Wednesday, um, about everything. Nothing, you know, it might not be just about the, the restaurant. It could be about chocolate. It could be another chef. It could be just to give them more and more knowledge. Um, I just want them to leave us really well-rounded mm. and to go out into the industry and and be confident and successful just thinking as you were talking what makes a good chef like you know you're kind of you, you sort of reach the pinnacle of sort of you know all the you know you've got all the accolades you've got the restaurant you've got you know you've sort of achieved so much and I guess you're sort of looking at this younger generation when you're when you're sort of guiding these people or or you know I don't know where you might be what is it that sometimes you might see that you're like you know what that person they've got something it's a it's a really it's a very um difficult thing because there's two I would separate in it in in this chefs and cooks 
Yeah. And to me, being a professional chef is a bit different. Completely. Um, so being a professional chef, you know, you should you have structure to your training and you work on all the different areas in the kitchen. It's quite boring, actually. But it's almost like getting the qualifications of knowing all the round fish, knowing all these sauces, knowing all the bases, doing all the paste. You, you work your way around and it's a education in each uh, section structured by Chef de Party, Demi Chef de Party, So it's like a military style system. But when you've learned that in a really good restaurant, it is transferable anywhere. You know, you could go to a five-star hotel, be a chef. You could be, you know how to work, how to structure it. There are great cooks out there that cook amazing food, but probably wouldn't be able to do Mm. those things and go into those roles. Mm. However, (laughs) where that, you know, this one, the chefs uh, sometimes lack creativity or sometimes forget about like, flavor and stuff and it's a hard thing once you've got really disciplined consistency is huge to be important and everything so you need discipline um you need consistency but so they could be like the best technicians in the world but get them to create a dish or and that's where they struggle so it's like getting that out of them the next step that takes often quite a long time so when you've been trained to within an inch of your life like we all were yeah you buy someone else cooking their food, everything drummed into you. This is how you do things. This is, And then to th- start thinking about who you are after that is yeah. quite a, a big step. So it normally mm. takes a couple of years for them to mm. come out of themselves as chefs after that. It's actually really fascinating when you think about it because I absolutely agree with you. I think that the more, sh- the more chefs that I sit down and speak to, there's a huge difference between being a chef and being a cook. Mm. So it, correct me if I'm wrong, would you say then it's not necessarily just about being able to cook a really good dish no you've got it to do has it for, there's other facets to you, it you've got to do it consistently for yeah. 50 people yeah. 100 people 250 yeah. people 800 people yeah. that's what a chef does they yeah. know how to make that work a cook can just cook amazing food yeah. and delicious food are you going to sit down and go one's better than the other when you're sitting with a plate of food and you don't you know what i mean but a chef is it's a yeah. technician it's a it's a different thing yeah. you know it's like how do I go about doing mm. a dinner for 500 people? Mm. Who has been your favourite person to cook for? Oh, I don't, to be <laughs> honest, I've, we cook for lots of really lovely people. That's You're really allowed hard. to name drop at this point. <laughs> oh, but it, it's lovely people. Like if I think about some of our regulars that are just like my favourite, like we call her Auntie Bab, she'd have a nightmare if we called her Auntie Bab. She's like 80, 85 now, just love her. And, and she, she always, comes to the restaurant. Yeah, always puts us in her place all the time. <laughs> um, you know, I always think about people that we've had. We, we have incredibly close relationships with lots of the regulars and and like become really good friends um, over all the years. And and so for me, they're the most important people because they make it like it's just they support us all the way. It's always happy to see an old friend. They create the atmosphere in yeah. the restaurant. They tell us off. <laughs> um love and, those ones <laughs> and but yeah we could i mean the other sort of really nice people um you know it's just like yeah i don't know like we've been having like own wilson come in quite regularly just into oh, the bar yeah, and eat cool. we have lots of actors and things that come in you know ed sheeran comes in regularly lots of people but because core is that sort of restaurant with no dress code nothing they'll come in and it's so friendly and open mm. it's like oh can i just sit in the bar and eat can I have a potato and it's like yeah you can have a potato. and you just bring his fold up bike in and stick it oh, in I love there. it do you know what actually I have to say I think there what you've created is is I feel like you've succeeded in that because 
there was a word that you use that I didn't, which is there is something quite pretentious about a lot of the restaurants out there that have the Michelin stars and they're all the fine dining and it's all this French cooking with words nobody can bloody, you know, uh, pronounce. Although, yes, it's a lot, as you said, it's a, it's a bit more money than perhaps the average restaurant. Mm-hmm. But there's also that element of come in in a pair of jeans if, yeah. you, if you want to. And yeah. sit down and have some bloody good food. Yeah, I I always say it. You know, when our dress code, it's like um, people can. We most people do dress quite well. Yeah. But I want our guests to express their own personal styles because people come in and they're like they're everybody. Like we have the most random regulars. You know, from jeans, trainers, people, men in dresses, this, that, the oh, you know, well, but okay. just, just like everyone. diverse yeah. customers, people with Mohicans, like piercings, like, but they're regulars, like, wow. and you know, I just love that because they're just people and what, like, why do people from all diverse backgrounds, they can all love fine dining, yeah. they can all love food and wine yeah. and I just love that and that's, I guess, when I was doing core, it was like, this is who I am. And I don't like all those yeah, things yeah, either. Yeah. Well, also, I think, listen, don't get me wrong. I love to get dressed up for, you know, for a yeah. nice meal or whatever. But also the times have changed. We don't live in that world where perhaps people want to be sitting at like, I don't, I hope I'm not going to offend you now, like starched white tablecloths. No. I mean, I don't mind a starched white tablecloth. We but don't also, have tablecloths. Okay. Well, there, <laughs> there we go. And, you know, men in black tie, you know, yeah. we, we're kind of done with that. Yeah. It's 2022, yeah. and you know. And individual, like I say, individual personal style. Completely. To say to someone else how to dress. Yes. Like it's just, I think there's a time and place, yeah, like yeah. for certain events. Yeah. I get that. It's respectful, you know, whatever. But I think to go and have dinner... Go and be yourself. Also, let's be honest, you might be full at the end. You might need to like undo your old, uh, old top button or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I just want people to be comfortable. Exactly. And at, at home, Sakur is like, I, it's very much like my home. Yeah. So all of my personal things around the dining room. Oh, wow. Okay. But if you go to, for example, like the Ritz, which I absolutely love, that restaurant, uh, you know you have to go there in a suit yeah. and tie, but it's the Ritz. Yeah. You know, core is not that type yeah, of place. Yeah. We want it, it, I want it to be a home of fine dining, genuinely people mm-hmm. to feel like they're mm-hmm. in their own living room. One person or two people that you did cook for, you catered the royal wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Are you allowed to say what you made? No. (laughs) Damn it. I tried. (laughs) Was that an incredible experience? I mean, what an honour. It was, yeah. I mean, it was brilliant. But, you know, when people say things like, oh, what did you cook? It's like you don't have to look too far. No, yeah, I yeah. Could. I mean, I have a, I have an idea. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't what was in the papers. It certainly wasn't burgers and candy floss. I mean, God. I cook the certain way. Yeah, um, yeah. And you just have to look at core and then. Think, and so, well, did you have to bring the whole team? Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. That, that must have been quite an experience. We did. Yeah. And I was lucky because um, we needed a someone to actually cater a caterer to yeah, build yeah, yeah. the kitchens and, and stuff and. I got to work with Anton Mosman. It was like my first ever cookbook I bought. So it was Amazing. a full circle for me. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Like 6am in the morning, I'm standing in the car park, bright, beautiful, sunny day. And he like pulls in in his E-type jag, <laughs> his bow tie on. I love him. He's and, always got yeah, a bow tie on. He's gorgeous. <laughs> and he's such a gentleman. And I was like, yeah, it was, it was amazing, amazing day. What an honour. So Claire Smith at home, what are you cooking? Uh, so last night... <laughs> No uh, judgment. No judgment. <laughs> I uh, I did a cassoulet. Oh, oh, okay. All uh, right. I mean, that's pretty, you know. 
Yeah, night before I think I did spaghetti bolognese. Okay. I love a spag bol. Mm. Roast chicken's another favourite. What's your What's your secret to a good spaghetti bolognese? A good all ragu? The, well, just the thing is, it's all wrong, and that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't can't say it to an Italian because it's just it's all completely wrong. Um, but for me, it is. I I personally like it um, really really rich. So made with beef and red wine, which is. Absolutely like not it what everyone what no. it should be. But um, yeah, uh, smoky bacon, mushrooms, you know, carrots, celery, all that sort of stuff in there. Loads of oregano. Um, but yeah, absolutely not the traditional. That's okay. A British spag That's bowl. okay. What food do you dislike? Oh, I just don't, you know, I don't dislike any food. Okay. I don't, like, I love everything. I just, it, the only thing I don't like is just bad cooking. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, your friends invite you over for dinner parties? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes. Are, th- yeah. are they nervous wrecks? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, um, I'm just so grateful for someone else to cook for me. I yeah. love it. I love it. Your husband cooks? He cooks for himself, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is he, is he not up to the Claire Smith standards? It's just easier for me to put it, put it like that. I mean, he does the washing up. So. Okay. Oh, okay, fine. All yeah. right, so he's got something to do. Yeah, I, I don't do washing up at home. He does the washing up. Okay. I cook. That's hilarious. I love it. It's a very diplomatic yeah. answer. What three items are always in your fridge? Um so, I mean, I'm a bit addicted to things like, and it's all actually, I'm just thinking about it, it's probably, it, they're all Spanish food. So, um, addicted to, well, big, uh, you know, those big, huge uh, green olives. Yes. The ones, the picante ones. Yeah, fabulous. Um, pickled chilies and Iberico ham. Okay. Those are my snack foods that are always in the fridge. Okay. I don't know why that is. I just love, because I've spilt time in Spain and just love those, those really good snack foods. Dare I ask you, when you find yourself out and about on that rare night off, where are some of your favourite restaurants? Core, obviously being the best restaurant ever to the end, but if you do, you know, want to go out. I mean, in London, uh, a restaurant I go to quite a bit, Scott's. Yeah, Uh, Bentley's for oysters and wild oyster season. Um, I love Claude Bossy's restaurant in Babendum and the oyster bar downstairs, which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, nationwide, you know, oh, I mean, Andrew Wong as well for Chinese, amazing. Um, and then certainly so, you know, I love like Sat Baines, for example, just think he's an amazing chef. Um, you know, Long Clume as well, but there's just Britain's full of incredible restaurants mm. and London, of course, Helen Rose here too. The Connaught I ate there a few weeks ago, just absolutely brilliant restaurant. And yeah, we're lucky. I like to have that, um, and Trinity down the road from me in Clapham fabulous restaurant just like i'm so lucky to have like my neighborhood restaurants as like shea bruce and mm-hmm. trinity um but we're full of really good restaurants but i love that the simple stuff as well like they're like just grilled dover sole and i yeah. always have the same thing with boiled potatoes grilled dover sole <laughs> oysters i love it a woman who knows what she wants i yeah. love that are you a starter or a dessert woman a uh, starter you're the same as me. I knew that's why we were friends. Yeah. I love it. I just, I'm just, I like savory. I yeah. want salty, savory, hit or miss with the dessert. I'll always have a little something chocolatey, but it's always a, always a starter. I always end my conversations with a few quick fire questions. Are you ready? Yep, yeah, sure. Okay. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Um, I think, I mean, it's got to, I guess, insects like crickets and 
ants and things like that probably where were you uh here no, no actually i had some in uh paris the other day i had oh. uh, ants on top of something they're meant to be very high in protein yeah. i believe yeah 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 and depending upon which ones you have they can taste like lemongrass and quite nice flavors okay maybe. yeah what has been your most memorable meal hmm. again just really tough um there's a, there's a, there's a few but they're they're like old ones because it's like you know i'll never go back and you change them because it's at that point in time when I was a young chef and you know when Thomas Keller uh I was doing a stage and he cooked for me in his office and you know I'm wow. sitting in front of the, and I had like 20 odd courses in his in the past and that I'll never forget that and similarly um Louis Cairns getting to eat there for the first time which was just the most glamorous those things are things that really inspired me when I was younger and made me just blew my mind and thought I want to do this I want to do this. This is what I want to do. I want to do it even more now because mm. these meals are so incredible and these experiences. Mm. I can't believe I'm asking you this question. <laughs> My favourite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. As you can see behind me is... My favourite flavour yeah. ever in yeah. the world. What is your favourite flavour of crisps and why? Um, salt and vinegar crisps. Okay, nice. Already very happy with that answer. Yeah. I now just need to sort of... Can we talk about like a brand in terms of, do you be like a thicker cut kettle chip or do we like a Walker's? Um, thicker. Okay. Um, if I was to say like McCoy's. Yeah. Oh, okay. You like a bit of a ridge. Yeah. And <laughs> also um, from where I'm from, potato crisps, Northern Irish or Irish potato, potato crisps yeah. are really good. You know, I tried those for the first time this year. Um, my brother, for some reason, don't ask me why he had them, but I had a mass, he sent me a whole variety pack. They're good. They're good flavours. Really tasty. Yeah. They had a great roast chicken flavour, mm. salt and vinegar, really sharp. Yeah. Really liked it. Yeah. Definitely a fan. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that I was, I was nervous because I can get judgmental on this one. <laughs> what food sums up happiness for you? I, I mean, food happiness. I, I think, I mean, for me, it's like something like, I guess, a roast uh, yeah. with people around the table um, and I'd like I say I love a roast chicken um, and that is something so simple humble and just that hearty delicious food that everyone totally. loves to eat yeah I couldn't agree more final question live to eat or eat to live I mean live to eat for sure <laughs> I mean imagine you um, imagine you weren't I don't know what yeah. you'd be what you'd what the purpose of this of food. all of this was yeah <laughs> This was a massive honour for me, Claire. I think on I think you are just quite incredible. And I'm not just saying that because you're sitting in front of me and I have to be nice to you. I, I really do. And I think what strikes me about you is how deeply passionate you are about what you do. And I don't normally do this because I've just thought of a question that I actually want to finish on. You have achieved so much. What what else is there for you what what do you what where do, what's your legacy um next step is is opening another restaurant and it is to be able to take the people with me that are with me and so loyal to me and to be able to get them involved in the business so they also can become successful from it um and then i'm doing some other things that i'm working on which is um the thing that i really do believe in is educating the next generation so i'm um working on potentially opening a, an academy with a university um, to change the perception of hospitality because 
um, I want people to view it as a respected profession. And I think that having a, a high end, well, also we we lack the people going straight into high end restaurants, which is what I do. You know, it's just, that's what I know. So if we can train those people to go straight into a high end, so I'll take, the plan is to take 50 elite students, front and back of house, and then train them into this new uh, academy. And then they will be ready then to go in, they'll get a degree and they'll be ready to go into a top uh, top kitchen somewhere or restaurant in the world. And I feel like we need to have a world-class hospitality school in Britain that is viewed in the same respect as some Swiss ones and the German and the French schools. And, and we need that because that, when we start to do that, I think we start to change this, the perception of hospitality. Totally. Claire, I wish you the best of, I mean, you don't need any more luck, but oh, honestly, thank you. thank you so much for joining me and, and just thank you for being a fierce female in this industry. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Good to see you again. You too. Until next time. Thank you for listening. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.